So welcome to the Sporting History podcast brought to you by the British Society of Sports History in association with the Institute of Historical Research. This week we should have been hosting our seminar here in London actually um, in about two hours time at the IHR with Alistair Webb um, and Alistair was meant to be speaking about um, international cricket but of course the virus has struck. Uh, but I'm delighted to say that Alistair has been able to join me via Zoom. Let's give them a plug. Um, I'm going to be using them a lot, I should think, over the next few weeks, as we all are. And uh, hi, Alistair, on the other end. Hi. Hello, Jeff. You well? Yeah, good. Good, thanks. Uh, you keeping okay in these uh, troubled times? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, we're quite easy out, in the, uh, out here in the sticks in Norfolk. We don't see many people, so, uh, so we're, we're, we're all right on the self-isolating bit. Good, good. Well, Alistair is a part-time PhD student at Manchester Metropolitan University, and he's researching public attitudes towards the staging of contemporary sports events, uh, particularly in cricket. Um, he previously completed an MA in sports history and culture at De Montfort University, so you've done the two big universities in terms of uh, sport history. The title of Alistair's paper is Why History Matters in Contemporary Sporting Events, a case study of the bidding process for international cricket matches in England and Wales. So Alistair, can you talk me through the, the rough focus of your paper? You've chosen uh, Glamorgan and Yorkshire as case studies. Um, how did you kind of come select those teams and what was the kind of the broad thrust of what you were going to talk about? Well, it's a bit of a, um, a, bit of a, a, a split down the middle between the, the, the traditional six, if you like, uh, the, 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 old, the old test grounds, Lords, the Oval, Headingley, etc., and the so-called new kids on the block of which Cardiff uh, is perceived to be one. But uh, mm -hmm. uh, I think as, as the paper argues, um, actually, if you see it just purely in those terms, you're, you're, you're missing quite a bit of the, the, of, of the background, which I think is important in reassessing the, uh, the issues surrounding Cardiff in particular um, in relation to its uh, desire to bring internationals and more more latterly of course franchise cricket uh, with the much talked about hundred um, which was due to start this summer but of course yeah. in the current background we've no idea where we are with it. Yeah and your paper um, sort of focuses on the Ashes test that was awarded to uh, Cardiff's Sapphire Gardens in 2009. Why was that so controversial at the time? Well it was it it's an interesting one, 09, because at that stage, um, at the time it was awarded three years earlier, Cardiff hadn't hosted an England match of any sort. Um, probably the most famous game they'd ho had at that time was when Bangladesh beat Australia the year before in that uh, incredible summer, Ashes summer of 05. So, um, and they were perceived, um, I think, to be a sort of Johnny-come-lately um, Count, county that had no no tradition of test cricket um, one of the clubs they beat was old was Lancashire and of course we all remember the scene of thousands upon thousands of people being locked out of Old Trafford on the final day of that test match in 05 and Hampshire um, one of the other very ambitious new counties in um, for, uh, for for international cricket they were very unhappy about what they perceived as the um, Welsh bias within the uh, within the board so uh, it, was, it was a highly controversial uh, decision, and the but of course the decisions around bidding for international matches 
became controversial in that period because there were simply more grounds capable of hosting them. Yeah, and Durham included in that? Absolutely, yes. Um, Bristol, probably to a lesser extent uh, as, uh, as well, where you, you'd have to you know, put, put on the list as well. And um, so you, you contrast Glamorgan who, with this perceived lack of history with um, Yorkshire's experience. Um, and you sort of talk about Headingley's contested status as an international cricket venue and uh, sort of trace the development of that in the 70s and 80s when there was a lot of turmoil in Yorkshire cricket clubs. Um, can you tell us more about that history, the history of Yorkshire cricket and how that influenced things later well, on? It's a, it, yeah, it's a fascinating thing, which I don't think has really been picked up on, actually, in terms of the uh, the, uh, the trials and tribulations of Headingley with uh, you know, with all the with the, the off-field turmoil that Yorkshire went through in the in the seventies, and more particularly when it went into the eighties, um, Yorkshire at that time were one. They were the only county outside of London that had permanent Test hosting rights. They uh, they they were given these in the sixties, but it was they were lost. Uh, the TCCB took it off them in the, in uh, around eighty four. With a view, you know, for it to come in late after that, 1990 was the first year they were affected by this. Um, so in so they were really, I think, quite well. They they didn't understand or they they didn't perceive a threat at that time because there wasn't a great threat. Um, the threat obviously came later on, as we talked about. That the interesting thing you know, in terms of why Headingley became a threatened venue is because. When the reform uh, there was a, a reform group essentially set up to uh, reinstate a certain G boycott, um, who was sacked by uh, the committee in uh, I think about eighty three. Uh, when they got in, when they got in, in charge, and, and Stuart Rayner talks about this in his book, uh, The War of the White Roses. Um, they felt that they Yorkshire could simply play cricket at Headingley, but do pretty well nothing else uh, they didn't own the ground of course uh, yeah. and that was a major major issue and it and it develops from it develops from there with uh, the the club setting up a looking set up an academy in bradford in the late 80s and really peaks in 1995 with the announcement that caused huge news at the time I and mean, i remember it i mean i was a kid of 12 or 13 but i remember it being massive headline news in in the region when Yorkshire announced they were going to move to a new stadium at um, just near Wakefield, uh, yeah. of course that didn't happen, and uh, um, and we've moved. They've got to a stage now where Headingley's been substantially rebuilt, but it was you know there was there was a period of several you know a good probably ten years when the future of Headingley as an international venue, for various reasons, was very much up in the air. Yeah, it's interesting because I'm I'm probably a little bit older than you, but certainly when I was younger, it wouldn't have occurred to me that Test cricket wouldn't be played at Headingley. You know, if there was a summer of cricket, then a Headingley Test would be a natural part of that. And that was as somebody who grew up in Durham, and so that would be our nearest Test venue to go to. Mm. Um, and yeah, it it was yeah, it was a shock <laughs> when uh, when um, when it when the, the the number of Test venues was expanded. You know. Um, but you talked, I, I, mean, I meant to go back to Glamorgan. You actually talked about Glamorgan ha having a longer history than, it, than maybe people outside of uh, Wales um, were aware of. Uh, you talk about the century of history of uh, cricket at Glamorgan. Yeah, it's, in 
Yes, it's interesting because Glamorgan bid for the right to host an Ashes test back in 1905, which right. I don't think, I mean, I must admit, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, I certainly didn't know it at the time that they got the 2009 match. So I think that that fact alone, I think, is very interesting in terms of understanding that, you know, this isn't necessarily the, the sort of, the new phenomenon that we're uh, that we're thinking of and there's and if you look through uh, andrew hignall the glamorgan historian has done a lot of work on this yeah. and uh, when you look through the the uh, chronology of, of glamorgan cricket there's there, there's been uh, there several sort of efforts to bring international cricket to wales the the tour games were always big you know were always big deals particularly when the you know the famous games when they beat australia in the 60s um and I think you, know, you, I think you have to, I think you have to see what they, you know, what they did when they managed, when they secured Sapphire Gardens as their permanent headquarters, and the desire to bring international cricket to to Cardiff in that broader narrative. I, th- I don't think you, know, you can look at it without, but I think it places it into into a much more. You, know, you see it as much more in the context of what of Glamorgan cricket of the development of cricket across Wales. Um, and I think that's a much fairer, more and more fuller way of seeing it. Yeah, that's interesting. So it's not that um, Glamorgan were kind of influenced by the, the rapidly rapid commercialisation of cricket in the nineties and thousands, but it was actually the the culmination of a long campaign that they had to bring international cricket to their region. I think that the, the 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 desire was always there, but the 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 big issue they had was that they didn't have a ground a, a, a headquarters ground yeah. until they were able to secure Sapphire Gardens that purpose. Which although they moved there in the sixties from Cardiff Arms Park, um, that really own that really only happened in the development to enable it to become an international venue only began in the nineties. So it's a, so it, it was a very a very long process. But one that's uh, one that I think has its, you know, I think you have to see its origins in, in you know, in, in the in the moves and the bids that were made made before it. So the the first half of your paper was um, kind of concerned with the process of these bids and how uh, the counties won or lost those bids um, in the nineteen nineties. And the second half of your paper looks at more at kind of identity and how that fits into wider people want to play these matches or bring these matches to specific places. And I'm really interested in your analysis of how Glamorgan fits into a wider Welsh identity. Um, can you kind of go into that a bit more for me? Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's still, it's very much there now. Uh, I mean, I was in Cardiff myself about 18 months ago um, for a, uh, I went to see a T20 match, which uh, ironically, given the boiling hot, to a period we'd had before it got rained off without a ball being bowled, which uh, sums my luck up. But but all, but around the ground, and even now, we, I still get I, mean, I still get emails from them, and it's the t- the T Twenty matches in particular are billed as Wales versus England. Yeah, you know, it's, you know, it's very much that you know, that well that Welsh nationalist uh, identity is very you know, is very prominent, and and I think part of that comes from the you know, the fact that they you know, as I, as I said earlier they didn't have a a ground of their own, if you like, for for such a long time, and they took their matches to 
all sorts of places around Wales. I mean, you know, people, you know, will, will I'm sure, know uh, they about playing at Swansea, Colwyn Bay, uh, and places like that. But they went to all sorts of places, uh, partly in, influenced by sponsorship and you know local government support and, thing, and things like that. But but also the desire to 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 promote Glamorgan as the county of Wales, the one, the single first class county in the English structure playing in Wales, and and also and that was particularly important after they merged with Monmouthshire in the in the 30s. Monmouthshire was a minor county, but but they uh, but they they merged and took their Monmouthshire's place in the minor counties set up as it was then, and uh, so that was so it became again more important still to promote themselves as the county of Wales. And was the kind of the change of name of the uh, of the test board to the England and Wales uh, was that significant? Um, it's the EWCB now, isn't it? Or... I th- I think it's well. Well, it's uh, uh, Rod Bransgrove, uh, the the chairman of Hampshire, was quoted at the time that uh, Cardiff was given to that the two thousand nine test match um, as bemoaning quote the silent W in the uh, in the ecb so uh, yeah. um i think he uh, I, I suspect he probably spoke for many pe- many other people when he uh, when he made that comment uh, but um i think I, I, it's not been it's not universally popular i have to say i know um uh, tony lewis uh, the uh, the former glamorgan and england captain wrote in his memoirs that uh, he didn't like the, the being the England and Wales cricket board. He said, "Yeah, we'll have a Welsh cricket board when we play our own Test matches." But right. uh, uh, but that's uh, but that's uh, you know. But at the moment, so we're we're not at that at that stage yet. Um, but certainly, you know, certainly the Wel- the Welsh influences was perceived at that you know, at the time of the the two thousand and nine decision uh, was um, very much noted. Yeah, and are you from Yorkshire yourself? I'm not actually. No. So, I mean, I, I have a bit of a bias in the sense that I lived in Yorkshire for the thick end of ten years uh-huh. uh, you know, when I was an undergraduate, and then in, you know, uh, after subsequently working in uh, in newspapers, which is my day job. Uh, I'm a Lincolnshire man by birth, so okay. uh, uh, I tend to look towards um, I tend to look towards Trent Bridge for um, uh, uh-huh. for cricket rather than Headingley. But, so okay. I sort of go either way, depending on where, depending on who's got what games. Yeah. So I'm kind of my next question then is a kind of an outsider insider question for you. So I was going to ask you about Yorkshire identity, and obviously everybody or cricket people see Yorkshire as being kind of the big county in this country, certainly historically. Um, how is how is how does cricket fit into the Yorkshire identity? What does it mean um, in Yorkshire? How do you analyze that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's all it's always meant, you know, it's always meant a lot to you know to people. I think, particularly in you know, particularly if you know, if you, you look at you move towards the West Ride, you know, Leeds, Sheffield, of course, around that you know where the club was formed. I think actually over in the in the East Riding where I was based for a number of years, I'm not sure it is. It, it, I'm not sure it. It gets it gets people as much, despite of course having the games having games up at uh, North Marine Road in in Scarborough. But you know, I think David Warner probably summed it up. Not not that one. The uh, the historian who wrote, he wrote the 150th anniversary oh, right. history of your of Yorkshire, and he said, "What um, I'm paraphrasing slightly, but it's uh, what rugby means to the Welsh and 
football means on Tyneside, cricket means to Yorkshire. And and I think that is still, you know, I think that's still largely true. You know, yeah. they, you know, it's one of the it's one of the few one of the counties that I think has a real understanding of itself in a way that I'm not sure that and I'm not sure that some other some other county, you know, some other county clubs really feel that uh, or really, really have that. I mean, that may just be. I mean, I can't I say I can't claim to be unbiased in this, certainly because of how long I spent living living in in Yorkshire. But that you know, simply that's simply my sort of feel about 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 the place. I mean, I'm sure I'll have Lancashire supporters, Nottinghamshire supporters. You know, so what does everyone have berating me for for that? But that's just that that's just my take on it. Yeah, that's interesting because uh, another part of your paper, having talked about kind of national identity and regional identity with uh, Glamorgan and Yorkshire, you actually go on to um, discuss how recent developments in cricket, especially things tournaments like the hundred, have kind of broken down those very geographic specific identities in terms of sports teams and now we have franchise teams and you use this concept of the mcdonaldization of cricket to kind of explore that can you talk some more about that kind of concept well that comes from uh comes from the work of an american uh, scholar george ritzer uh in the context of globalization now uh he I mean, he uses american sports um baseball and basketball particularly to um, to you know, focus his argument, and what he's saying is that in order to make the game essentially more, in order to make those games more entertaining to more people, uh, they've become they you know, they've they've had their, there's been changes to playing structure you know, playing structures you know, say like things like shot clocks or bringing the fencing in in baseball so that you know, so it's perhaps easier to hit a home run and things like that, mm. and that's something that you can really you can also apply to cricket in the sense of um, the developments of things such as 2020, the you know, boundaries being brought being brought in, and, all, and all, all that kind of stuff. So I'm not sure at the moment. I mean, we may be going a bit far at the moment to say that identities, traditional identities, are being broken down by these sorts of forces, but I. Th- but I do think it is quite possible that that may happen. Yeah. Um, I don't think we're at that point yet because things like you know the things you know the innovations such as the cut you know coloured clothing, white balls, etc., floodlit cricket, you know they are long established. I mean they they date back as 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 I'm sure you know, I'm sure you know most you know most people listening to this will know back to World Series cricket in the in the late seventies. Yeah. So so the hundred in itself. Is not all that new in the sense that you know, in the sense that you know it's it's white ball cricket, it's coloured clothing, it's you know floodlit cricket. What's different is the you know is the change of the format, uh, the, uh, the something complete a uh, com- completely alien sort of format to what we're used to, and the the introduction of franchise cricket to this country. Yeah, uh, which that is uh, new, yeah, isn't it? Really. And and who know you know and, and where that you know the implications of that um, I think you know they could be profound but at the moment you know we simply don't know. Yeah, and um, 
you're in the middle of your thesis. How does this work fit into your wider thesis? Can you tell us about that a bit? I think it's it's, it's very much in the back. You know, it's very much interesting background uh, work. You know, the, the, his, the historical the historical stuff. What I'm what I'm wanting to do uh, is is look at the eye. Is look at it's from both the point of view of supporters, but also uh, local people, local residents who perhaps don't go to these games. What I'm interested in is do people do these people really care um, essentially that local councils and um, uh, you know sporting bodies you know, clubs and that are prepared to spend large amounts of money upgrading upgrading their venues in order to have these matches on, in their locality and where that comes from is the the context we're seeing in the Olympic um, yeah. in the Olympic bidding processes where you've had a number of cities in recent years uh, have been forced into dropping bids for, for the Olympic Games because there's been such significant public opposition to them and to the, uh, the monies that uh, would be spent on those bids. Um, and I'm, I'm interested to see whether those same issues, whether those issues exist in a, a sort of a single sporting context rather than a, a, sort of a mega event and multi-sport context. Okay, that's really interesting. It's very topical as well, isn't it? Because I think that um, the Japan Olympics are going to be postponed this year, certainly, aren't they? I um, think it's absolutely inconceivable that uh, that the, the Tokyo Olympics could go ahead uh, this year. Um, I think the I, I have to say, I think the IOC has been very poor in terms of how it's acted. I think you know, uh, a number of other bodies have been have acted much more decisively in terms of in terms of dis, uh, making the dis, making the moves to put events off until we you know we're clearer about where where we are and where we're going uh, with this crisis. And um, and you know I I think it's it's only a matter of time before the IOC succumb to what I think is the inevitable. Yeah, um, and you're you live in uh, Norfolk, you said, and you're I'm basically I'm based in Norfolk for my day job. Uh, so yeah. I, I work. Uh, I'm a I'm a journalist in my newspaper journalist in my day job. So uh, um, yeah, so I'm but yeah, we'll say Lincolnshire man. My birth, my family's in Lincolnshire, but uh-huh. uh, but no, I'm I'm uh, I'm here in Norfolk. Okay, but how, how is the current crisis affecting your research? Uh, well, I say we're on hold at the moment. It's very much on hold. I mean, I was hoping to, we were going to be in a position to perhaps start doing data collection this summer, you know, with some of the you know, with the with the hundred in, you know, opening matches in the hundred and all and all that. But of course, you know, cricket and sport, as we know, is completely on hold at the moment. And I, I frankly doubt we will see a ball bowled in anger this summer. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's potentially that. I think I think that's where we're going. Um, so, I'm I'm currently writing a lot. Uh, I've got I'm writing some methodologies and uh, and and in, you know early introductions at the moment. Just you know getting on with what I can get on with uh, until such time as uh, until such time as we get as the situation improves. Yeah. So as you said, it's kind of tough times for cricket at the moment. I think that the ECB said that there's going to be nothing before the end of May, but that seems pretty early, doesn't it? Um, yeah, what are you yeah, doing? Get, yeah, what are you doing to get your fix of cricket? Well, to 
To be honest, I haven't really thought about it, um, which, you, which I think some people might be surprised at. The, the one moment I did was uh, I was in Nottingham last Sunday. Um, I actually bought some tickets for a show uh, to take my mum to a show. It's a pre a pre Mother's Day thing, and as we were dry, as we were as I was driving out of the city, even though I didn't need to, I just drove past Trent Bridge right. because and I said and I said to her, I said the only reason I did it is because I think that's as near as I'm going to get this summer. I mean, I, I have tickets for the test match against Pakistan. Yeah, me too. I don't think I'm going to be here. No, well, it's, it's a shame, but um. It is hard for academics at the moment. Uh, people are uncertain about what's going to be happening in universities, but um, I really encourage people to do what we're doing and network and try and uh, get some research online in whatever way people can do it. But um, thanks a lot for spending some time with me today, Alistair. No, pleasure, Jeff, and stay safe, everybody. Yeah, and so it's goodbye from both of us. Goodbye. Cheers, goodbye. Mm-hmm.